I don't. Can't, <laughs> you can't do it. You just cannot. <laughs> I said I wasn't gonna say anything. I know. <laughs> Ever since we started this, I just feel like I have to talk through the whole music. <laughs> yeah. What does that remind you of, though? John Legend. <laughs> John. <laughs> <laughs> what? It does old John Legend. Old John. Le- How old is he? My first introduction to him was probably 2006. Wow. Slow Dance by John Legend. Go download it. It's so good. Not sponsored. Is it appropriate? Let me go re-listen to that. Yeah. And I can. Okay. Yeah. We're a yeah, non-explicit so. podcast. No, it's explicit. Hey, this is Student <laughs> Ministry for Parents. Who we have in the room? It's Susan. And John. And we are in the middle of a series called... Biblical application into adolescent drama. You remembered it this time. I did. I did. I totally remembered it this time. Uh, We are doing an episode on saving face. What does it mean to uh, preserve our identity? What do you think, Susan? I have a lot of thoughts. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to ask for (laughs) that. I'm going to actually do something a little bit different this time. I'm going to give you three stories of my own life. Okay. And I want you, here's my question for you to think about. Where did I fit in in my friend group? Okay. Okay. You ready? Ready. Three stories of my my childhood slash adolescence and where did I fit in? So first one is I grew up in a neighborhood with a lot of people um, around my same age and we hung out all the time. And in our neighborhood, there were uh, vacant houses, not like people had abandoned them. They were developing a part of the neighborhood while we lived there. And we used to make a habit of exploring those houses. And my favorite part was like going upstairs when the upstairs wasn't finished. And so I remember across the street and one house to the left, we went up the stairs and the upstairs was unfinished, and the front wall was not even put up yet. And so we're standing on the second story, looking over the front, what was going to be the front yard of the house, looking down, and there was uh, a bunch of sand below. And I'm standing up there with three friends and a brother, and I stand there, and they say, hey, John, you should jump from the second story into that pile of sand. This is explaining so much about who you are now. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, of course, I'd do you it. did it. Um, underneath that sand, I found, was a bunch of broken wood. Oh, my gosh. Of which it Rough. had cut my arm up immensely, and I was, like, basically bleeding out. Um, <sighs> I didn't have to go to the emergency room or anything, but it was, like, super dangerous. Okay. Horrible. That's the first story. How old were you? I need a little context. Oh, I was probably 11 or 12. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Maybe a little bit younger, um, but not much. Let's say 10 to 12. Okay. Okay. Second story is same neighborhood, same friends. We're on the other side of the neighborhood that has a creek and some woods. And we're exploring the creek, which was pretty regular for us. Um, Unsupervised, which was also pretty regular for us, obviously. And we come across a rope swing that's hanging from a tree really high up that goes across the creek. Oh, my gosh. And naturally, they say, hey, John, you should 
test the rope swing. Mm. And so I do. I climb the tree. I swing over the creek. It's awesome. I get all the way across the creek. The rope snaps. (gasps) I flip upside down, hit my back against the other wall of the creek and slide down. This is right after church, and I just, I'm in my church clothes still. Okay. Okay. Third story is we uh, spent some time in the sewer uh, (laughs) because... Because you were Ninja Turtles. We were Ninja Turtles. Um, (laughs) This is all about the same um, stage of life. (laughs) So um, in Oklahoma, uh, the the way the sewers work is on the curbs, there's like water drainage. We have a lot of like flash flooding because it's pretty dry there and hot. But when it rains, it floods. And so like at the end of the the street, there's like these sewer holes uh, with grates um, and the water just drains down them. And if you get like, Two or three boys, you can lift the grates off and then climb down into the sewer. That is terrifying. <laughs> we used to do it all the time because, like, skateboards or balls would fall down there. Um, and so we had, we had learned to lift them off and go down there. And then one time we went down there, we noticed, like, hey, um, I wonder what the sewer system is like. Oh, uh, I wonder if we can gosh. travel all the way from our house where there was a sewer all the way to Quick Trip, which was, like, a half mile away. Oh, my gosh. So, guess who was asked to go first? You. Me. Yeah. <laughs> so, we lift the grate off, and they give me a flashlight, and they say, all right, you go through, and we'll meet you on the other side at Quick Trip. Oh, my goodness. So, I traverse the sewers of Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and make it out on the other side. Um, Did you make it to Quick Trip? I made it, like, close. Um, Did I was, you have a flashlight? I had a flashlight, Yeah. Uh, there, there were only, there was one snake, um, rats. Uh, I didn't see too many rats. Um, but one snake and most snakes in Oklahoma are pretty dangerous. So I avoided that. And then just a couple of like dead animals. So my question to you is based off of those stories, where did I fit into my friend group? (laughs) A lot of questions for your friends. Um, well, it sounds like you were kind of the sacrificial lamb to get to do whatever they wanted to do. <laughs> they were like, well, John's going to do it. I ha- Did anyone, did you ever put up a fight or like say, well, I, this looks stupid. Like who else is going to do it? I don't want to do it. Or did you just go with it because you wanted to fit in with them? I mean, early on in my life, sure. When I was <laughs> like five or six, when I first was asked to do that type of stuff, I'm the youngest of five. And so obviously uh, that was a common role uh, for me and when I was in my friend group, um, that role was established for me mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. It's, it really is interesting to hear these now that I know you because you are fearless in things that I would be terrified to do. Um, but it seems like, I mean, this is what's so hard about guys. I'm like, this I'm is, sure you this were. This is the future for your boys. I know. That's what was scaring me the whole time you were talking. <laughs> um, I think... I think for, I, I have so many questions for young John. I'm like, were you scared to do those things? Or was it like, I have to do these because these guys are asking me and I don't want to look like a dork if I'm like, I'm scared. That's <laughs> a great question. But where, where, what do you, if you could name my role, what, what would you call it? Name it? Yeah. Uh. I mean, it doesn't have to be one word. It can be like, you said sacrificial <laughs> lamb. Um, 
I, I don't think I was that Gu- innocent. Guinea pig. I mean, it felt. It feels like. It feels like they were just using you because they wanted to do something fun, mm-hmm. but they wanted to make sure how it was going to turn out. So it was like, let's send John first. So I'm trying to think of like a word. Um, I think guinea pig is good. Yeah. 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 I Because you weren't going to fight back on it. It wasn't like you were like, yeah. no, I don't want to. It was yeah. like you were probably scared enough to not want to say like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And probably, I mean, <laughs> it'd be interesting to hear how you felt about that. I'm assuming at some point that might have shifted of like, well, now John's the guy that's, like, brave enough to do it. You know, of, like, yeah. versus he's young. He's not going to say anything. John, go into the sewers yeah. with the snakes. Yeah. Like, um, they knew you weren't going to put up a fight. They knew you would do it blindly. Yeah. And that if you got hurt, you weren't going to, like, tell on that. You know, it was, you were safe. You were a safe bet to use yeah. as a guinea pig. So yeah. I don't know how to wrap that up into yeah. a word. So let me ask you, what was your role growing up among your friends or among your family? Yeah. Um, I, if I could call myself something, I probably would have called myself a chameleon because I could fit anywhere. Okay. So um, I, <laughs> when I wasn't really sure where we were going to take this, but one thing, one of my favorite analogies for young girls is I remember when I first started dating – I always adopted whatever my boyfriend, like, I hate the band Led Zeppelin. Sorry for all the Led Zeppelin fans. But I became the biggest fan because the boy I dated loved them. Okay. So I pretended to, like, I tried. I mean, I tried. So you didn't actually like Led Zeppelin. No. You just no. He made me CDs. So I was like, <laughs> he mix made tapes. me mix tape. He yeah. probably did make me mix it because I right. think my first Ford Explorer only had a tape player. Um. But it was like I wanted to do what needed to do to fit and keep the pe- – like I was just happy to be whoever you needed me to be. Yeah. So I would say like a chameleon. That was probably the – um, in family and friends, like I'll be who you, who you need me to be. That's exactly what we're getting at today mm-hmm. is where do I fit in? How do I fit in? What's my role? These are – questions we ask ourselves throughout childhood and it ingrains into us through adolescence into adulthood Mm -hmm. so it starts really young like I was the youngest of five so I established that role really early on and it got solidified in adolescence and then it is what it is today in adulthood Mm -hmm. And and what we'll get to in a minute is how does Jesus utilize that um he takes that and he uses it for his will which is incredible stuff but we'll get to that in a minute first to to draw this out a little bit more and not to say like this this is used in other um aspects like we we do this out of necessity we see an opening or we see a gap in relationship Mm -hmm. and we try to fill that gap so for a very basic example when I was first entering into high school, um, I wanted to be a part of the varsity track team. And I had three brothers that went before me, and they were various um, runners from sprinting to mid-distance to distance. And um, I've, I wanted to be um, like my oldest brother, a mid-distance runner. However, 
there was only one spot on the track team that was up for grabs, um, and that was to be a two-miler. Now, for most people, people always ask, why would you ever run the <laughs> longest event on a track? And in high school, that's a two-mile. It's eight laps. It's twice as long as the next um, race. Why would you do it? And for me, very practically speaking, because I desired to be on the varsity team, I knew my only shot was to compete for the two-mile position. Mm. So that's what I did. Um, I made I made the team, and for four years I was on varsity because I was willing to sacrifice my desire to be a mid-distance runner just so that I could be a varsity track runner. Mm -hmm. So I, I made that sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do quite often when we are to trying to maintain our identity mm -hmm. in, in and of itself. So when you think about my childhood or even your childhood, what type of sacrifices was I willing to take or are you willing <coughs> to take in order to preserve my identity or my role within a relationship with people? You're, at, you're asking like sure. what? Was I willing or what were you willing? Or yeah, so among those stories, you, you obviously have to um, go at great lengths. Mm -hmm. So for you, you had to sacrifice your own personal music taste mm -hmm. to see yourself as relatable mm -hmm. to this boy. Mm -hmm. So you had to give up something that you desired, you truly desired, mm -hmm. in order to maintain a healthy relationship with this boy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, I had to risk my own life <laughs> oh my in order to find a yeah. place among my friend group. Right. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And this is really interesting how this uh, roots itself, and they've done tons of studies on this, and we'll talk about, like, the biology behind this in a minute, of what we will do in order to maintain our role, despite whether we want to do it or not. Mm -hmm. So as, as that gets rooted into your childhood, like those roles or those specific roles, as you enter into adolescence, you naturally just seek to fulfill that role, even mm. if you don't want to. Right. So It's like a pattern that you've already set in your brain, basically. Yeah, totally. And, and without Jesus, that is a false identity of yourself, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So where, where would you say you've seen that um, from your chameleon-type personality um, as you moved into your adolescent years and trying to fulfill that? Well, answering your first question of like, what, what did we do both you and I to like maintain our role? I was thinking we, you become like less of yourself, you know, your own desire or your own, who you know yourself to be becomes really confusing because like, you're always looking to see like, what does this person for me, you know, it's like, what does this person need me to be to maintain this for you? Like, what do I need to do? to maintain this without actually checking back in of like, what do I actually want here? Like having your own needs is like out the window. But, and I know we've referenced this before on this podcast and forgive me for bringing it up again, but it's just been so enlightening. I think for John and for me to um, understand the Enneagram and maybe we really need to do a whole podcast on that, but it's so interesting to see what we're talking about now manifested into the numbers we both hold now as, um, yeah. As adults, John is an achiever 
the number three and I'm a number two, a helper. And I'm like, every story we just shared, I'm like, it makes total sense why. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of things make up who, who you, who your personality ends up being, but I'm like, it makes sense. Both of these examples of those things are really foundational to actually, it sounds like, I mean, I think John's done a little more research on this of like what the biology is actually happening in your brain to make you that way. But for me, um, I'm a helper. And like John says, we have to, you know, really see how the Lord redeems these things. But like one of the things for a helper is they need to be needed. Yeah. And that can either be really gross or really redeemed. And so I think for me growing up learning, like I have relationship when someone needs me, they need something from me, they need something to be fixed, they need to be listened to, like whatever that was, that that became a role for me where I like became less of a person Mm -hmm. and more like a counselor, an encourager. (laughs) And like, it's cool to be an adult to say like, okay, that those are good things, but what's really going on inside me when I'm using those? Is that like for God and in a good, healthy place in my heart or like, oh my gosh, I want this person to love me or to like want to be my friend. And so I need to not have feelings and not have needs yeah. because they have so many. I need to fulfill those. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's what came off the top of my head. Yeah. I think this is a, a really important topic um, when you're talking about teenagers uh, for many reasons, because when you spend enough time with any teenager, you will inevitably come across uh, the question of why did you do what you just did? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It may, it in an isolated incident. Did you, did you think before you acted? I heard that all the time growing up, <laughs> like all the time. And sometimes I still hear it um, in the back of my mind, yeah. but in a lot of ways, no, mm-hmm. no, I did not. And there's many reasons behind that. And we're not going to get into those, but we're going to focus on this idea of identity preservation of I acted on this motive because it is my role within this group to do it. Mm-hmm. So in some sense, I'm mm-hmm. the one that jumped off the house. I'm the one that did the rope swing. I'm the one that went down in the sewer. So I look like the reckless person because I was the first person to do it. In a lot of ways, I was. But it took a whole group of people yeah. to establish that role for me. Yeah, it was bigger than that. It yeah, it was much you. bigger than that. And so, like, as I kept growing up, this kept being an issue mm-hmm. of me being pinned down as the reckless person. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of the times, anytime I got in trouble, it was never by myself. I never made a decision on my own to say, hey, I'm going to do this bad thing. Mm-hmm. Like, every time I got suspended or I got detention or whatever, it was because some person or some group said, hey, we should do this, and I was always the first to do it because I acted fearlessly, and I stepped into my bold role mm-hmm. of doing it first. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we never got caught, and I became the hero of the story. Like, you were the first person to do it. We, we succeeded. Um, and there's also, like, <coughs> great stories in this of, you know, um, this can be, be turned in a good way. But a lot of times my my memories tend Mm -hmm. to lean towards the ways where I was in trouble a lot. So I I was either going to become the hero or I was going to become the scapegoat of of whatever thing we had decided to do. 
I think that's what gets confusing, especially in your adolescent teen years, is because it's so, there's no black or white. It's like so confusing of sometimes I'm the hero, sometimes I'm like the one that is losing in this scenario. Mm-hmm. And same for me, it's like, oh my gosh, you're such a good friend. <laughs> and like feeling like the loneliest person in the world. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. having a lot of friends, but then feeling like, I don't feel like anybody really knows me. That's yeah. really confusing yeah. <laughs> as a girl to want so many connections as a guy, like to want to prove something and be getting both of those messages in your brain of like, I could really pay for this. My memories are like the bad ones. Yeah. But like, sometimes I was kind of like the cool guy, like the hero. Yeah. So that's confusing. You were the the best at doing those things. Yeah. And that in a tribal Mm -hmm. sense, and people lean on you to do that one thing because you're the right. best at it, right? Right. And that's where all these personality tests come into play is like you should be the best in this area. You're not the best person, but when it comes to accomplishing this task, we need this type of person. Yeah. And it's your expertise. Yeah, this is your expertise. So I'm going to I'm gonna read something from – we've uh, referenced this guy before, Dan Siegel. Um, he is kind of the leading neuroscientist on the, the child development and adolescent development in today's – modern standards. So um, I've read some of his stuff. I do recommend this book, The Whole Brain Child. It's more towards childhood and not adolescence. Um, he's, um, but it's, a, it's helpful in order for us to understand why teenagers function in the way that they do. So I'm going to read this, and then we're going to talk about that idea of working within a group and relationships make a big difference. So, so it says, we are biologically equipped to be in relationships to understand where other people are coming from, and to influence one another. As we've explained throughout the book, the brain is actually reshaped by our experiences. That means that every discussion, argument, joke, or hug we share with someone else literally alters our brain and that of the other person. After a powerful conversation or time spent with an important person in our life, we have a different brain. Since none of us is working from a single skull mind, our whole mental life results from our inner neural world and the external signals we receive from others. Each of us is meant to join our individual me with others to become a part of we. So, what is that saying? I need you to break that down for me. Okay. I had to read it several times (laughs) as well. (laughs) So, um... Basically, what it's saying is relationships, mm-hmm. our relationships and interactions with meaningful people in our lives shape who we are mm-hmm. every single every single moment. So if I have a meaningful, extended relationship with somebody, whether it's a friend, a family member, um, a coworker, whatever it is, every interaction I have with that meaningful person in my life, it's reshaping who I am. Hmm. even on a very small scale. And I'm going to say this. I don't know if there's been a ton of study on this yet, but I'm going to take a guess that that also includes the meaningful relationships we have with online influencers. Mm -hmm. So if we spend our time watching one YouTube type person, even if we don't physically know that person, but if we spend a lot of time listening to them and watching them, they also have that role in somebody's life. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So what this book is focusing on is that type of change affects a child the most. So a mm-hmm. child has the most moldable brain when it comes to relationships. 
That's why our personalities can be rooted all the way back to our childhood. I am the way that I am because of the people that surrounded me mm-hmm. when I was a child. Mm-hmm. So if our identity or our personality was set then, it's hard for us to break that identity or personality today. Mm-hmm. So that's the tricky part about adolescence. They're adult-like, but mm-hmm. still child in mind. So they're in this crossroads of setting in, like for a really long term, am I going to keep this identity or am I going to change? Mm-hmm. So this is why I think college is so important and the years leading up to college are really important because the years leading up to college, you're still trying to mold a healthy identity, like self-identity for your child. And by the time you send them off to college, you're giving them, or whatever, after high school, when they're on their own, if it's college or not, um, you're sending them off on their own to say, all right, it's now my opportunity to either keep going in this identity or reset my identity. Because mm-hmm. it's the last years of adolescence, it's the last years of, of full brain development so it, they have an opportunity. This is why people feel comfortable completely changing who they are in their college years. Mm. Right? right? We've seen students graduate from here, and they go off to college, and they come back a completely different person, mm-hmm. sometimes in a very good way and sometimes in a really hard way mm-hmm. um, because we want to give them the space and time to figure that out. So Dan Siegel would say one of the best things we can do is allow for those types of experiences to happen more often in the adolescent stage, those moments of figuring out your identity while they're under the care of their parents and healthy influencers. Mm -hmm. Because when they go off to college, it's now their choice to see who influences them. And if they don't have that healthy rootedness, um, and um, somebody developing their identity with them, they're going to go off the deep end, most likely, right? right? right. So mm-hmm. how have you seen that in our own students' lives, Susan? I mean, just what you said, it's, it's so interesting what freedom in college will do for you. It's really, it really does feel like two paths. Like for some people, that's a really sweet um, addition to who God has already, like, revealed to them to be it's like that just gets bigger and stronger and really cool to see someone flourish or just to surround themselves with people who just are not good influences and um depending kind of what you're saying like depending on their role in the group and who they are if they're more like a follower or a leader like what that actually looks like it's sometimes really damaging I mean I've seen a lot of students walk away from the faith um, in those years just because they were surrounded by people who weren't people I would have met necessarily wanted them surrounded by and yeah. then like and vice versa you know it's we've seen both it's really it's so that's like one of my favorite parts of this job is to get to see people who this really means something to them and they take off and they're they're now walking with the Lord in a way that's really cool and really special and they're like in their mid-20s you know and yeah um, getting to watch that on the sidelines and see like what God has done with just the few seeds that we got to see and plant 
Um, but definitely, I think you're right. I think depending on where you go, what you do, what you put your time into, what you're interested in, who ends up surrounding themselves around you makes it such a huge difference of what you choose for yourself and for your identity, even though it's not like probably ever a conscious thing at that point. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think I ever thought about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Growing up, like I wasn't thinking like, oh, I really want to fit in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just happened that way. You know, you don't, the thing is you don't want to be the last one standing. You don't want to be alone. You don't want to stick out. You don't want to, um, I never wanted to be unique. <laughs> if that makes sense. Just wanted to blend in with everybody else. And so. Yeah. Well, you could even say it like you didn't want to be unique and you just want to blend in. But sometimes our role is to be the unique person. And so for us to be unique um, sometimes is to be the unique person within a group. Yeah. So that's your role. Right. And I definitely owned up to that as well. So since yeah. I'm an achiever or a competitor, sometimes that meant that I wanted to stand out. And mm-hmm. that was my role of, of leadership. Like I stood out and was called upon to lead, not because I was necessarily the greatest leader, is because I desired to be that person within the group. I wanted to be the person that stood out. And so I fulfilled that role many times, um, whether I deserved it or not. But it's just I felt obligated to do it because that was what was assigned to me in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Same. And I would say mine was that because I'm a yes person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, totally. So interesting to hear different personalities, the way that still works out of like you, you assume this role and then it's like you literally can't get out of it because your brain is now wired that way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this is what Dan says um, in the same book. He says, happiness and fulfillment result from, uh, from being connected to others while still maintaining a unique identity. Hmm. I think that summarizes what we're Mm -hmm. talking about, right? Yeah. We still want to be who we are, but we want to be completely connected to others. I do agree. I think, and maybe I'm overthinking this, but I don't know that I knew who I was. Like, I have such a better... Yeah, you're not aware of this during that stage. (laughs) That's that's the... I don't think I knew how to uh, want. The the beauty of our role, you know, um, as youth workers and as the beauty of a parent's role or any other person who has influence in their lives is we're helping them become aware that this is who they are. This is the way that you've been created. This is the way you've been nurtured. And you actually have a choice. Mm-hmm. And this is why I love Star Wars. I'm not like the biggest fan. Um, <laughs> but I love the the simplicity of the, the, the dark side. And I'm not a the fan. The light side, <laughs> clearly neither of us have really watched it. I know. N- I can't help you out at all. I, the well, dark side and whoever um, is it the Harrison Ford is. I, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on this. This is like one of the most the, like. It's not the light side. It's not the light side. What is the it? The good side. <laughs> the dark side. And. I don't know that that this is. This is bothering me. I'm going to have to look this up. It's just. Is there a side? It's just like it's, the dark side is more. It's totally a side. Hold on. Dark side. Versus. The force. The good force. No, the force is the. the <laughs> I've, can you tell I haven't seen these? The force is the thing the they're battling thing. over. Oh. Yeah. Don't tell me. Can you give me like a clue? We've already named it. The good side. No. The light side. <laughs> Luke Skywalker. Stormtrooper. I don't it know. Is, it is the light side. 
No. Yeah, it is. No one calls it that. It just doesn't sound right. Because the dark side the dark side sounds so, so scary. Like full. And the light side just sounds like a diet version of it. Does anyone ever use that? Uh, you know, they use like the Rebel Alliance, um, the Jedi oh, Council. Yeah, like <laughs> they use me. those type. Those words are way better. So <laughs> here, here is why I love Star Wars because it maybe takes, <laughs> what? we clearly don't I have a lot of Star knowledge. Wars. I can't say that I'm like <laughs> the most knowledgeable in okay, Star Wars, fair. but we love it because it like it splits off into clear very depiction. clear sides of the coin. There's one thing they're fighting over, which is the force, and there's a dark side use of it and a light side. Or we can simplify it even more, a good versus evil. We're not going to get into the new episodes where they try to complicate it and say, like, well, what if, you know, we're really the good side and the good side's really the bad side? That's confusing. It's super confusing, and I love I love the writing of that, but we're not going to get into that. Like, the early... <laughs> Like, the original episodes of Star Wars, it's good versus bad, and it's very clear who is evil and who is not, right? Okay. So it's the same concept. Let's simplify our own identities and our own, like, powers. Like, mm -hmm. so if you view your personality as your own superpower, mm -hmm. this has been used in some personality tests. Um, I guess the guy, like, the, the leading scholar on the Enneagram calls them superpowers, mm -hmm. right? Whatever your number is on the Enneagram, that's your superpower, okay? And you can use that for ill or for good. Mm -hmm. And So the, the role of, you know, youth workers and the role of parents and other influencers, even like good friends, mm -hmm. anybody that influences your child, you want them to be surrounded by people that are going to, take their personality, their identity, and use it for good. Yeah. Or in this context, for God's glory. Mm -hmm. Right? It makes me think of one of my all-time favorite quotes. If you do not steward your personality well, you will become a victim of it. Ooh. And I'm like, that is, there is nothing truer said. <laughs> like, yeah. If you do not steward it well, or to your point, have people point you in that way to steward what God has given you for your personality, you will become a victim of it and other people will become a victim. Yeah. Of it. Like that's really true. Yeah. So what I want us to like pull from this is that if identity preservation is true, if we're always wanting to save our own face, we use that concept like that terminology, you know, I'm just trying to save, save face. face. I want to make sure I'm maintaining who I am. If that theory is true, then we have to make the decision of how we utilize that. How do we utilize our identity to glorify God and not glorify ourselves? Yeah. That's the ultimate question as a Christian. So as we're raising these teenagers, um, from if you're a parent of a teenager— if you're a youth worker or if you're a friend of a teenager, if we're raising these teenagers to un first understand who their identity is and then utilizing that in its best form, it changes how we interact with somebody. Mm -hmm. Am I hindering this person? Am I becoming a stumbling block for somebody? Or am I helping them grow in their identity with Christ? Right. That's a good good thing to understand. So when somebody came up to me, 
we just talked about pornography in the high school group. Somebody came up to me and said, I don't struggle with pornography. Praise God. That's awesome. But my question, I turned it around. We have, it's an issue human-wide. The question is, are you helping somebody move out of their struggle or are you making it worse for them? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when we joke about pornography, Mm -hmm. it becomes a stumbling block for somebody who really does struggle with it. Mm. I love that people feel comfortable enough with, you know, joking about it because it's not an issue for them. But for somebody who's caught in addiction, it, when you joke about it, it's really painful, and it also becomes like, well, it becomes lesser evil, and you, so you engage in it because you don't feel as if it's so bad. Just like yeah. when you dr- joke about being drunk or whatever, and you really don't ever find yourself drunk, uh, but when you talk in that manner among alcoholics, it's the same mm-hmm. concept. Mm-hmm. So what that's what we need to do with um, guiding teenagers through their identity so in a lot of ways their identity is pretty set at this point Mm -hmm. not fully there's still room to grow there's always room for us all to grow obviously but if our identity or our personality is set how can we help establish their identity in Christ first I think it's been really helpful for me to realize that God really sees me and knows me how do we help yeah, find advocate? How do we advocate for students to find their identity in Christ mm-hmm. and utilize their identity for His glory? Mm-hmm. Um, I think actually understanding God's giant hand in who you are, like that He actually designed you the way you are, that His He did not make you without thought, that mm-hmm. like He's intimately involved in exactly who you are yeah, and that who he is also plays a huge part of you. Like understanding, um, being an image bearer, like that just wasn't something I grew up knowing that like, Oh, actually like God made me, me, but also he made me to look like him. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a huge part of my story, but, or anyone's story. But, um, I think we have been going through the gospel of Luke and I think the thing that has stood out to me the most is just how much the Lord sees us individually. (laughs) You know, I mean, he talks about us as a people, but that like he is intimately integrated into exactly who we are, into the worst parts of our personality and the best, the glory and the garbage. Like he is right there in the midst of it. And I think it's helpful and maybe again it's hard for me to say because I'm thinking about this so much in the context of my own personality but that's actually really helpful for me that God sees me and knows me and really accepts me just because of who I am and so like finding my identity in his love and his care for me versus what anyone else would think about me if you think about everything I just already shared about my own story of like I'm always making sure you're okay with me because if you're okay with me, I'm okay with me. And it's like, that's not really true because that's a really volatile place to place all your trust in. And so I think understanding like God sees me and really delights in me and that's where I can hang my hat. I don't know if that actually answered your question. That was like a very circular way to get there. But um, 
read the Gospels of Luke, the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke, um, just all the ways, a lot of them is in miracles, but there are so many circumstances where Jesus really stops and sees people when it was inconvenient for him and they, he knows their whole story and he yeah. enters in and he just delights in them. Yeah. It's really sweet. Yeah. When you see. take like the woman at the well, you know, mm-hmm. you can on the outside see this person um, for the way that the world has equipped her to be. And Jesus says, you are those things, but these things are redeemable right? and can be made for my glory and can further the kingdom of God. And so he turns those things, and that's the beauty of it, is he, he, takes, he takes us as we are, and he meets us in our pit. Right. And he not only sits with us in that, he says, I'm going to pull you along, and I'm going to make you greater than you've ever been. Mm-hmm. And that first needs to be established in my relationship with you. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that has to be recognized. A few things that I found in Scripture, I di- I've, I've given this a little bit of thought, um, actually a lot of bit of thought, and it's all over. And you'll see the influence of people and the world and what it does to those whose hearts are truly in the world and what it does when um, the other way around, when somebody's heart is truly with the Lord. So when you look at King Solomon, when he first took over after David, um, his heart was with the Lord, and the Lord granted him great wisdom. And this was wisdom that Solomon had asked for because he wanted wisdom to guide his people uh, to further God's kingdom in the world. And so God granted him many, many things. Um, and from his wisdom came world, worldly success. And as he became more successful, this is found in 1 Kings 3, Um, through 1 Kings 11, as he became more successful, he was surrounding himself with less influence of God and surrounding himself with more of the things that he had put in his life, which was the influence of the world. So Pharaoh uh, and Pharaoh's people, um, other worldly leaders, gold, just money, land, whatever, he found himself surrounding himself with the influence of that. And as he lessened his influence from God and his people and increased his influence from the world and its people, he became corrupt. And then, as we know, um, we, he was found evil and was stripped of his kingship, right? Mm-hmm, right. So that, that's in one form. And that's taking somebody who, who was established in the Lord and just surrounding himself with the exact opposite and it, and it happened over years and that's that's the danger of it mm-hmm. as you create let one thing creep in and another and another and another mm-hmm. and you have the other side of the coin is paul who was zealous uh for the lord and to the point to where he was persecuting christians because he believed that this is the way that God wanted things. He wanted to assert authority over anybody who wasn't a God follower. And for his understanding as a zealous Jew was to persecute those that came and tried to move God's people out of the way. But what he had found is when he was struck down um, is that saying, in order for you to be zealous for me is to actually follow me. I am Jesus, and you need to become zealous for me. And so he surrounded himself with the scriptures and understanding and with the, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit and through Jesus revealing himself to him and 
saying this is actually the true way. And so he became ze- he went from zealous as a Jew to zealous as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so he moved c- further into what it meant um, to have identity in Jesus, an identity as one of God's people, an identity as an image bearer of God. Mm-hmm. So as he's writing that, and in, in if you look in Ephesians 4, it says, you need to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Hmm. Now, Paul was still Paul, but he was a new Paul. He was a Paul established and in relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so how did that transform Paul as a person? He went from a pretty, completely different. Yeah, a pretty like normal, zealous Jew to being one of the most influential people of this world ever, mm-hmm. taking the same passions and personality of Paul and transforming it for the goodness of the kingdom of God and for the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what happens to all of us when we align ourselves with Jesus. And this is why it's so important us to help students establish their identity in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Amen. Right? Right. Yeah, because if they don't, it can go the other way. It can go the way of Solomon. And as they head off to college, as they get older and they begin to make their own decisions, not under the care of their current influencers, parents, youth workers, teachers, whoever, they're going to try to make decisions in their own way. And we pray that it's under the influence of Christ if their relationship is with him. But if it's not established in these years, it is very, very dangerous heading out. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of God who can transform anybody's heart and mind in any way. But these are some of the most vital years for that to be established. And we need to work diligently and this is why our purpose statement is we are advocates of the gospel in the lives of teens because we believe this is the most powerful time for them to really root that identity so that it influences the rest of their life going forward Mm -hmm. that's it it's good stuff yeah we want to preserve our identities Mm -hmm. but we want to see them preserved as our identities in christ and not Mm -hmm. in self i have so many thoughts still (laughs) my mind's spinning spinning yeah just thinking about how this is both both ways is such a journey like when you were saying thinking about Solomon and I think about our students it's like small things influence you over so much time you know and that what what way does that go and and thinking even as an adult of it takes a lifetime and eternity to look like Jesus, you know, and um, just thinking that it's a battle that we have to pray against and pray for, and we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> we have tons of work to do. I think it's it's really, really important for us mm-hmm. to be steadfast as the Lord is steadfast. Yep. Um, we're going to get hurt several times in the process of seeking to, um, to do this, and because we're going to get resisted all the time. Parents, you're going to get resisted all the time. Um, and it is good for us to not give up. I think about this all the time. When I get super frustrated with with teenagers, and I do a lot, 
<laughs> don't think that I it's it's all joy. Well, it is all joy, uh, in some sense. <laughs> but sometimes I get really mad because I we put in all this work and all this effort only to get a door slammed in our face. Mm-hmm. And it's because these children are becoming adults mm-hmm. and they're making their own decisions. But some of the best things that you can do is be consistent and to be mm-hmm. constant. And to remember, I just keep thinking about that scripture, like he who started a good work will finish it. Like yeah. God's got us. Yeah. We just got to keep yeah. being faithful. This, is, this is also isn't it. Like if yeah. you're like, I've missed the boat. <laughs> don't be discouraged. Right. Um, there are many years, probably many of you are listening, may have not come to faith until you were much older. Yeah. Um, but it took some work early on for it to begin and he's still complete. he's still working in all of us you know it's like you don't just arrive and then you're complete right um, <laughs> it's a journey yeah yeah we're still waiting on jesus to come back to complete that we're still sinful but we're very thankful for y'all's listening ears and for being faithful to downloading our podcast we're really excited this has been a fun series and i've really enjoyed really um the research i've picked up a whole lot more books and i'm very overwhelmed with the research <laughs> Um, but I think it makes us better as youth workers. Y'all are pushing us to do uh, better work by asking for these things. Um, and in return, we hope that we give you helpful resources. Um, and that is one of the many things we hope that we can grow the kingdom of God is by equipping parents with this stuff. So thank you all for listening. See you next time.